Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. He says, once we come to that point, then we can say, give us this day our daily bread. And again, the words in Aramaic, they speak to a request of a day-by-day substance. It's the sense of the bread that's necessary for our existence. It's the physical things that we have need of. It's the concept of asking God to give us today what we need for today. And you know what? That then requires a whole new request come tomorrow. That means I've got to go back to Him tomorrow because I want you to supply what I need today. And if tomorrow comes... I'm going to come back and I want to be in His presence again. I'm going to ask again. And the next day after that. We need God today, tomorrow, and always. The question is, do we ask for Him every day? Pastor David looks in depth at the Lord's Prayer and shares with us the importance of asking God each day to provide what we need. Today, we may need food or help on a difficult task or love for another person. Tomorrow, we will likely need those things again and possibly more. Asking God each day to provide what we need reminds us to rely on Him for everything, big and small, and to put Him first, always. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Effective Prayer. Don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. These proud, loud, boastful public prayers that they would make. Verse 6, though, Jesus goes on, But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now you need to understand that Jesus isn't discounting or disallowing corporate or public prayer at this point in time. He simply wants to make sure that it's done in the right manner and focused on the right person and for the right reason. Focused on God himself and for the reason of communicating to God, not trying to impress those that are around you. Our prayers need to be that personal communication with the one who not only hears our prayers, but he is the one and only one who can answer our prayers. We need to be focused. In that same passage, Jesus goes on, verse 7. He says, and when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathens do. know many in the new age right now, they they have mantras that they repeat over and over and over and over and over again. He says, you don't need these vain repetitions. Or perhaps you grew up in a tradition, a church tradition, where uh, there are certain prayers that you prayed over and over and over again. I see in my word that Jesus says, don't use these vain repetitions. That's what the heathen do. He says, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words, 
Therefore, don't be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. So in this manner, therefore, pray. And then it's at this point that he shares with them this model prayer. It's, he gives to them again these words that I know that for some of you, you, you grew up and this might have been the, the normal Sunday liturgy. You said the Lord's Prayer or this model prayer every Sunday as you came to church. For some of you, maybe in your own personal prayer life, you repeat this and you use this. It's probably very, very familiar to most all of you. But when we look at this, we need to understand it, it wasn't made just for repetition. The words you're really familiar with. As a matter of fact, you, you can repeat it with me if you would. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Okay, how many of you are trespassers and how many of you are debtors? Pretty much it means the same thing, okay? It just depends upon what you grew up with. When we look at these two prayers that are listed, the, the Luke 11 and the Matthew chapter 6, we see great similarities, but they're not exact. And in both places, Jesus is helping them to understand, well, teach me to pray. Teach me how to pray. When you pray, pray like this. And yet he does not give an exact model on both of them. I mean, that right there ought to help us to understand that it is just a a form or an outline. It's not the exact thing that we have to repeat. Warren Wearsby, he points out that there's nothing wrong with praying this prayer personally or as part of a congregation, so long as you do it from a believing heart that is sincere and submitted. How easy it is to recite these words and not really mean them. But that can happen even when we sing or preach. The fault lies with us and not with this prayer. Spoke to a couple after the service last night. They said, yeah, my wife and I, we we pray that every morning as part of our devotions. We also pray other things. I said, man, that's fine because as long, again, as, 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 as long as you know what the words are saying and you're meaning those words, it's wonderful. It's not wrong to repeat this prayer. But if this is the only prayer that you pray, then it's really not very personal. And, I, and personally, I, I believe that your prayer life is probably woefully lacking if this is the only prayer that you pray. Again, we look at this, if it's a memorized prayer, you need to understand also, memorized prayers, they quickly become meaningless prayers. Prayers of repetition become powerless prayers. And prayers that come only from the head, they don't touch the heart of God. You see, it's when our heart is communicating with the heart of God. That's where we make that connection. When we look at the model prayer, the first thing we notice is the focus on God and not on man. He says there, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And in our prayers, we need to begin with God's interests 
and not our own. Those things that bring honor to his name and to his kingdom. Over and over again in that John 17 passage, we read the words of Jesus as he prays and he speaks, Father, oh Father, Holy Father, Righteous Father. The focus of his prayer was on the Father, making certain that in everything that he's asking, Lord, this is toward you and it's to you. It declares the greatness of who God the Father is. He is our Father in heaven, reigning and ruling over all of his creation. We want to acknowledge that when we pray. He is the one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. He is the one who knows our needs before we even ask them. He is the one capable to answer our prayers. In the time period of Jesus's life and ministry, the spoken language was Aramaic. The Aramaic word that Jesus used for father was the word Abba, A-B-B-A. It's that intimate word that, again, a young child in the Middle East would use to address his human father. As a matter of fact, you go to the Middle East now, and at times you can even hear young children playing, and they'll cry out to their earthly father. They'll call him Abba. By by using that word, Jesus was teaching that God is a loving father, one that, again, we as his children, we can have complete confidence in. The kingdom is the kingship or rule of God that his children long to see established completely and eternally. We as his children come to him. He as Abba Father, we want to be a part of all that he's doing. So Jesus' focus, again, he focuses on the Father. And the Father, God the Father, ought to be the focus of our prayers. His name should be honored, recognized, and treated sacred and holy. His name, by the way, his name isn't an expletive. And so often we hear his name used in such ways, it's downright blasphemous. And the sad thing is, is I even hear that in Christians using the name of God in almost as an expletive. You ever hear somebody say, oh God, even as a Christian. And you stop and think, now wait a minute. Are you really calling out to God? Or are you using his name in the same way that someone would say, oh dang it, or worse as the case may be. You see, his name ought to be honored. His name ought to be sacred to us. We don't use it in that way. Secondly, we see a focus on the plans, the purposes, on the will of the Father over our own will. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It was a standard Jewish prayer of that day at the close of the synagogue meetings that uh, they would say the prayer, exalted and hallowed be your name, and may your kingdom come speedily and soon. See, there's a recognition for the Jews of that time. There ought to be a recognition for you and I as Christians of this time that it is all about God's kingdom. It's all about his will being done, not our own. When and only when we surrendered to, we ourselves have surrendered to, we ourselves have sought after God's perfect will in our lives and in the lives of others. It's only then that we ought to feel that freedom to be able to come and make our requests to him. First of all, Lord, I want your will to be done. I want your kingdom to reign and rule. I want you to be honored and blessed above all things. And then I can come and make my petition. I I can come and ask him for the things. And the word says that we should be asking him. 
We should be casting every care on him because he does care for us. We shouldn't be worrying about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to him. He wants us to pray. He wants us to come and bring in all of our cares, all of our concerns, and yes, all of our desires to him. But first and above all else, gang, we need to understand it's your kingdom, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done in my life before anything else. He says, Once we come to that point, then we can say, give us this day our daily bread. And again, the words in Aramaic, they speak to a request of a day-by-day substance. It's the sense of the bread that's necessary for our existence. It's the physical things that we have need of. It's the concept of asking God to give us today what we need for today. And you know what? That then requires a whole new request come tomorrow. That means I've got to go back to him tomorrow. Because I want you to supply what I need today. And if tomorrow comes, I'm going to come back and I want to be in his presence again. I'm going to ask again. And the next day after that. It calls for us to continually come back into his presence. We see this elsewhere in in the teachings of Jesus. Later on in the same passage in Matthew 6, we read where Jesus continues on in his instructions to his disciples. And he tells them down in verse 31, he says, therefore, don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? It's after these things that the Gentiles are seeking. Your heavenly father knows that you need all of these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Do you understand that? Don't worry about tomorrow. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't plan and we don't you know, look to the things of tomorrow. He's saying don't worry about it. Uh, how many of you are guaranteed that you'll see tomorrow? No, and yet how much time we spend worrying about tomorrow and putting our focus on tomorrow? How much more our focus ought to be on our lives today and on our relationship with Christ for today. If tomorrow comes, if it comes, we'll deal with that at that time. I believe this calls for us continually to be returning to that throne room, that throne room of grace, that throne room of God's provision. It doesn't mean that we don't make the plans, but it does mean that we entrust all of our tomorrows into his care. We need to live our lives with the understanding that our communication with the Father is important each and every day and throughout the day. And if tomorrow comes, we're all going to need provisions one more time. We need to continually remember God is in charge. God's in charge of our todays. God's in charge of our tomorrows. But we also need to remember that bread isn't the biggest need that we have in our lives, is it? Our greatest need is to know that we've been forgiven. Jesus reminds his followers to ask for forgiveness. Now, I know that when we come to Christ, our sin is forgiven, past, present, and future. I understand that. But I also understand that there is a calling, a direction for our lives to, again, confess our sins before him. In 1 John, John writes to believers, he says, we need to confess our sins before him. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, even as believers, I still need to go and confess 
my sins. He says in this model prayer, Jesus reminds his followers to ask for that forgiveness. He says, and forgive us our debts or our trespasses, and as we forgive our debtors or those that trespass against us. And again, the word in the Aramaic is the rendering of the word hoba, and, and that's defined as a debt or an obligation or sin. It's, it, there's not a single one of us that doesn't need forgiveness every day either for a thought or an attitude or an action. And I know that there's some believers that believe that we can get to a point of of perfection, sinless perfection. Um, I I don't see that either in the Word of God, nor have I seen that experientially, okay? Either personally or with any of you. Uh, I just do not believe that's going to happen. We're going to be carrying this carcass around all of our lives. And there's always going to be a need to confess our sin. And and those are sins of commission, things that we actually did, or things of omission, things that we should have done that we didn't do. Those that know to do right and don't do it, that's sin. So you see, we we can sin by not doing something, and we can sin by doing something, both of those things. We're all indebted to God for His grace, the grace that's been given to us in spite of us. Amen? Just as we're indebted to God because of our sins, there's others that have sinned against us in one form or a fashion. As you seek the Lord's forgiveness in your life, are you just as willing to forgive those that have sinned against you? Unfortunately, I I see this as a huge problem in a lot of believers' lives. They're willing to to confess their own sin and to seek uh, forgiveness for their own sin. They're willing to admit their need. But when it comes to those that have sinned against them, they have great difficulty in letting these things go and forgiving their debtors, forgiving those that have trespassed against them. They hold on to these things. And beloved, that impacts your relationship with Christ, your fellowship your intimacy with God more than you can even begin to imagine. It's when you and I can come to that point of releasing those things that I believe really and truly the Spirit of God is released in us. And as long as we harbor that resentment or unforgiveness in our heart, we're not going to be the man or the woman or the young person that he's called for us to be. The power of God's not going to work in our life the way that it can. Lastly, we find our need to request God's leading his covering, and his strength, even in the midst of all the trials and the tribulations that we go through. Verse 11 says, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. A.T. Robertson, he explains that bring us not is a better translation than lead us not. Realizing that there's no such thing of God enticing us to sin. Uh, James chapter 1 says that we're not tempted by God to sin. The idea here refers to these inward temptations, these seductions that come into our life, these outward tribulations, these trials that come into our life. They, those are the things that test our faith. It's the idea that in the midst of the temptation or the tribulation, God deliver us from the power of that evil. Deliver us from the impact of the things that are all around us, that are affecting our lives, that are destroying our intimacy with you, that are pulling us away from obedience. 
when he declares deliver us from the evil one. He uses, again, a very expressive word for deliver us. It, it has the idea of break our chains, loose our bands, snatch us, pluck us, rescue us from the evil one. Right now, there is an evil one that's out to destroy your witness, your, your testimony, your faith, your joy, every aspect of your Christian life. And he's doing everything that he can to come and attack you and just drag you down and to make you ineffective, make you impotent in your walk and in the testimony of your life to the world that's around us, that the cause of Christ within your life would become non-effectual. Oh, Rescue us, snatch us away, break us from the chains of that evil one. This is the deliverance that only comes from our deliverer. In his extended version of this lesson on prayer found only here in Matthew, Jesus ends with a great declaration of the greatness of God's eternal kingdom. He says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Does this good to remember that it is God's kingdom. It's his kingdom. It's created and it's sustained by his power. All of this kingdom, it's all for his glory. From eternity past through eternity future, all of it for the glory and for the honor of God. It's a kingdom that you and I we're allowed to be a part of. He's invited us to come and be partakers of it. You understand, his kingdom wasn't created for you. Uh, one other thing, the universe, it's not centered around you. And by the way, parents, you need to let your children know that too, that the universe does not center around them, okay? It's for the glory of God, and the sooner we learn that lesson, the better we're, it's gonna be for us. Our privileged place in the kingdom comes by the grace and the mercy of Almighty God. And it is a privilege for us to be in that place. It's a privilege for us to be able to communicate with God. He's offered that to us. He says, come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden. I'll, I'll give you rest. He calls us over and over, Old Testament and New Testament, to cry out, to him, to seek his face while it may be found. We're called to communicate, and that's the privilege that we have, to communicate with God, a God who hears. We come to him, we declare our allegiance, we voice our praise and our worship, we make our requests known to him, and then he communicates back with us, leading us, guiding us, bringing deliverance, giving strength in our spirits, healing in our souls. It's a privilege that unfortunately, all too often, we go without exercising. There's tons of books on prayer in Christian bookstores. You can go to Walmart and find books on prayer for the Christians. You can go all over the place. We talk about prayer, and yet the very power essence for the Christian is our prayer life, and yet all too many of us pray too little. I don't think there's a man or a woman who comes to the end of their days and says, oh, I wish I would have prayed less. I wish I hadn't spent so many hours on my knees. But I guarantee you there's many of us get to the end of our days and the word would say, 
I wish I would have spent more time praying. I wish I would have spent more time on my knees, committing more things to them. We need to be continually reminded, as Warren Wiersbe says, effective prayer is the provision for every need and the solution for every problem. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. David will continue teaching through the Gospel of Luke next time. Now we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to The Open Word podcast at theopenword.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to theopenword.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Now here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us. We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that The Open Word is a missionary work? It is. We need your support as we share God's Word over the airwaves. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word. Go to theopenword.com and click on the support option in the main menu. We invite you to join us again for the next study as David shares insights with us from the Gospel of Luke. That's next time on The Open Word.